This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Coming up on today's future award-winning Moranalytics podcast, I got my man Nick Bat from the Nick and Nolan Show on with me. And I'll tell you what, it's going to be it's going to be a tough one, folks. There's no getting around it. Our hearts are heavy. Kobe Bryant, his daughter, seven others died tragically on Sunday. And I'm going to be honest with you, man, I've had a really tough time dealing with it. Nick has as well. And we're going to have a very honest, open, candid conversation about it. Kobe's impact in the world of basketball, sports, just pop culture in general, what he has meant, trying to make sense of it. And then we'll move on. We'll power through and we'll talk about happier stuff. Of course, we got a Super Bowl going on this week. We'll hit on that. We'll talk some Buffalo Bills offseason stuff. We'll hit on the Nick and Nolan show, some of the things that go into what is making a very, very good podcast. Nick and Bruce, man, they do such a good job. So I'll take you inside that a little bit. Plenty of good stuff coming up with Nick Bat. I'll have that for you in just a minute. Before we get to that, though, I do need to let you know today's show is being supported by Sound Assured. So it seems that everyone out there has a podcast today, and I listen to a lot of them. The biggest mistake that I hear, I can almost instantly tell every time, people go out and you spend all your money on these microphones and the boom arms, the interfaces, the recording devices, headphones. The problem is you go, you get all that stuff, but you don't treat the actual recording environment that you're in. I'm talking about mainly your walls, your ceiling, and the result. Very obvious result. The audio sounds like crap. Look, you need to invest in acoustic treatments to make the gear that you're spending your hard-earned money on thrive. Sounds Assured has top-notch acoustic foam. I know this because my own home studio has wedges outfitted from Sounds Assured. It's available in multiple sizes, very reasonably priced, and most importantly, really good quality. Again, folks, invest in your audio the right way. Visit SoundsAssured.com. Give them a call. Someone will be happy to discuss your needs with you. As a bonus, use promo code Moran10. You're going to get 10% off any order. Do yourself, do your audio production, your podcast a very big favor. Check out soundsassured.com. And on that note, if you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moran Analytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host. Patrick Moran. All right, everyone, what's going on? How you doing? Episode 190, Moran Analytics Podcast. Thank you very much, as always, for tuning in, for downloading the show. And I'm going to tell you right now, before I bring on my guest, somebody that I've wanted to get back on the podcast for a couple months, I'm very excited to have him on today. This episode might be a little bit all over the place because to be honest with you, I'm very like emotional since Sunday. We're taping this late in the Monday night and I'm still 
And, you know, I got to be honest with you, man. I, I came very close to not even doing an episode for this show because I've, I've just had a very hard time processing when out. Of course, I'm talking about Kobe Bryant and his daughter and seven other people perishing in a crash. And it's just tragic news that really hits close to home beyond sports, beyond basketball, beyond just pop culture, a family. People lost family and it's just very very difficult for me to process and sometimes when these things happen they just uh everyone agrees in different ways but for me it's just been very difficult but then I decided I got a really good guest on today I'm sure somebody who has a new father too might be able to offer some perspective and we're going to talk plenty of Buffalo Bills and NFL as well but let me just get into that right now so my guest today the co-host of the Nick and Nolan show a very good one of my favorite podcast you can find it on the buffalo rumblings podcast network i had him and his partner on in early november and then i had bruce on separately i said now i got to get this guy on my buddy nick bat been a while man glad to have you back on the podcast i wish i was in a little bit better mood i'm gonna warm up though but anyway how you doing nick it's really good to have you on yeah thanks pat i appreciate you having me on and i, I you know don't uh you don't have to do that on my accord i mean it's a it's a it's a day if you are a person who cares about sports at all, or, or just even took the time, like you said, it extends beyond sports. If you've taken the time to learn the details and kind of understand what the Bryants, you know, Vanessa and uh, her surviving three daughters are, you just imagine what they're experiencing. It it puts you in a somber mood, you know? And I think that imagine that people who are going to be listening to this, you know, on Tuesday and later this week, that'll still be, uh, everyone's state of mind in some way, uh, especially whenever, you know, something comes on that reminds you that this is a, this is something that happened on Sunday. So you don't have to do that on my accord, but I, I appreciate you having me on and, and happy to talk about that and, and the other things that uh, are we're slated to, to go over. Yeah, for sure. And I, I just want to say before we get into any topics today that I'll put in the show notes, like I said, I did have you on along with Bruce in early November. We got to learn a little bit of your story, what got you in the podcast, see where you're from, how you became a Bills fan, all that stuff. We've discussed that. I'm definitely going to put a link to that in the show notes to that episode. And people definitely should go back and I'll give that a listen if they haven't already. In terms of Kobe, look, it to me, what happened on Sunday, it transcends sports. I think it just hits home because of the way it happened. Just sudden and shock and awe on a Sunday afternoon, you know, just a regular, typical Sunday afternoon. I was getting ready. I think I was getting ready to watch the Pro Bowl. I I can't remember, to be honest with you, if I was going to actually watch the game or not. But I do remember going out to a a flea market here down in Florida with my buddy. And we came home, got back around, I don't know, mid-afternoon. And I went on Facebook. And my cousin, Michael, who, by the way, is like the biggest Kobe fan in the world. Let me say this, too, okay? I want to preface all this. I'm not a Kobe Bryant stan as a player. There's players out there. He's definitely one of the all-time greats, but he wasn't like my hero, my basketball hero. There was players I rooted against him plenty. There were players that I've liked in the NBA more than uh more than Kobe. But anyway, he said something about number eight and twenty-four. Please don't be true. With a broken heart, and normally I would have just said those are numbers, but because it was him, and I know he's a Kobe guy, I was like, what, what? Then I went on Twitter and started seeing the reports, and because it was TMZ, you know, you you don't want to believe that right away. And you're just waiting for more stuff. So I kept refreshing Twitter feverishly. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, it, it did turn out to be true. And then things just got worse. At first, it was five 
people that perished. Turns out that it was nine, including his daughter. It's just a whole shock and awe of everything. What was your initial reaction on Sunday when you found out? Did you find out right away? Did you find out later in the day? I did find out relatively soon after it happened. I, I coincidentally, I also found out on Facebook. I was home. Um, my wife was out. And so, like you said, I have a, a young son who's three months old and I was home with him and he had just, uh, I just had, had laid him down for a nap. And so I was actually by myself and had a little bit of time to flick around on my phone and I was toggling back and forth between apps and I wound up on Facebook and uh, a, an acquaintance of mine from college who I'm, I'm still friends with had a post saying something about how this is, you know, I'm, I'm, this is heartbreaking about Kobe. And it was a little vague, like you said, like he wasn't, you know, obviously like trying to be comprehensive and break the, you know, describe the news to people who hadn't heard it. So I, like you, went over to Twitter and started seeing the initial reports. And really the only piece of information that was out at the time that I first saw it was that Kobe was reportedly uh, had, had died in a, in a helicopter crash. Uh, how many other people, who the other people were was all stuff that I kind of saw unfold you know, uh, we went through this, people who were, who were aware early on and, and were trying to keep up with it were getting all of these mixed reports about what was happening and who, who all was involved in all of that. So I, I kind of saw all that happen somewhat live, I guess, whatever, however you'd want to call it on Twitter yesterday. And yeah, I mean, it was um, incredibly shocking. Um, I don't, I don't really, no, I, let me. I guess I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about. I, I know that you're a Lakers fan, but I'll, I'll share a little bit about you know my my kind of experience with Kobe's. I I, I grew up a Sacramento Kings fan. So okay. uh, in the early 90s, I'm sorry, not the early 90s, in the early 2000s, the Kings were had, you know, shortly after the St. Louis Rams were the greatest uh, show on turf, the Kings with Jason Williams and then Mike Bibby, Doug Christie, Chris Weber, Vladi Divac, and Peja Stojakovic were the greatest show on court, right? A really fun right. offensive, really fun offensive basketball team with Rick Adelman as their coach. And they could never in the Western Conference get past the Los Angeles Lakers with Kobe and Shaq and Phil Jackson and all of that. So I actually, you know, when I was a basketball fan, that was the primary time I was a basketball fan because being growing up in Pittsburgh and being from Buffalo, neither of those cities have basketball teams. So I didn't really care that much about basketball. I just wound up falling in love with the Sacramento Kings and their style of play. And uh, there was a, there was a commercial actually, I was a big football fan and I was a Randy Moss fan. And there was a commercial that had come out with Randy Moss and Jason Williams, the guard from the Kings, because I guess they went to high school together mm -hmm. and it was the, it was them playing basketball. So, you know, fast forward, I became, a, I become a Sacramento Kings fan and I root with every fiber of my being against the Lakers for years <laughs> in yeah. the early 2000s, whenever we just couldn't get past them. And Robert Ory hits that shot at the baseline, at the three-point shot that ends up in one series. And it's just, you know, a, a series of heartbreak. But at the same time, you know, it, Kobe, you can't not respect him. You know, he, he's one of those guys who... This is just my, you know, my opinion. So I, you, you want to obviously, I want to hear what you think on this. But he's one of those guys who's such a fierce competitor that he was kind of a jerk, yeah. right? He, he had that, he had that reputation as he was not a particularly likable guy for his teammates or for the people who were around him. That he was so driven that he was, uh, you know, he he was not a soft personality. He was not warm, right? Right. Absolutely. It, yeah. And, and I never, I never really liked players who had that reputation. Now I'm sure if they played for my team, I would love 
right? But it, just from afar, that always kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Cause I imagine, you know, if I got to know them or if I met them as a fan or whatever, that they might be a jerk to me because that's the, the reputation they had. What's really heartbreaking for me. And this is, this is just my, you know, how I'm kind of going through and thinking about this is that since Kobe has left the game, that has really softened his reputation and how people see him in the public eye has really shifted since he retired and has become much more of a family man. And almost all of the time you see him, it was with his daughter or, you know, in relation to the Mamba Academy where he was coaching youth basketball and trying to develop young players or his films, which were, you know, uh, which were designed to encourage and motivate people to do their best. You know, that is all really admirable work and characteristics and way to spend your time and your, and your, your energy. And so Kobe, you know, people who maybe don't follow have might've started to hear a little bit of this, this top, this conversation where people are like, and he was kind of just getting started. And you might wonder like, Oh, how is that possible? Whenever he's probably one of the three greatest players of our generation, at least, you know, maybe five ever, if you want to toss in Wilt Chamberlain and uh, Wilt Chamberlain and uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And there's a couple other guys you could try to have in that conversation. But I mean, he's, he's, you know, one of the single digit best basketball players ever. Uh, people would wonder, well, how, if that's the case, could he kind of quote unquote, just be getting started? And it's because he, he really was, he was paving a new, he was creating a whole new legacy that was going to follow him, you know, with what he did with his time after, after he was done playing. And for that to be cut short, if you're looking specifically at the, at the Kobe story and his situation is, you know, uh, something that, that is a, you know, that's that's a particular point to add that that makes it uh, not as sad as just, you know, what his family's experiencing, but what he was probably going to be doing. Uh, there was a lot of interesting things ahead. Yeah. And, you know, after he was done playing, he kind of became a little more humanized. And the second phase of his career right now, he's an Oscar winning producer for Dare Basketball. And I'll tell you what, like you talked about earlier, like he was kind of a dick as a player. And that is why. And by the way. You know this very well from being on Twitter and following me. And we've had many conversations on Twitter. You know, even going back months, how I feel about the sport of basketball. Because I have very unpopularly in Buffalo have stated several times that I would trade the Sabres in a half second for an NBA franchise. I'm an NBA guy. I always have been. Now, I'm first and foremost, I'm a Knicks fan. But other than the era, the Jordan era, where the Knicks were competitive but could never get past them, the Knicks have been irrelevant for so long. I grew up loving the Lakers in the 80s, the Showtime era. I like the Lakers. Again, I wasn't necessarily the biggest Kobe guy, but we hear all the time in today's you know day and age, the LeBron versus Michael comparisons. And I absolutely despise those comparisons. I always have. LeBron and Michael Jordan were completely two different players, night and day. Like if Mag- Magic Johnson, if you took him and maybe a little bit of MJ, you would have LeBron. But LeBron and Kobe Bryant, I'm sorry, Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan, that's the comparison because Kobe was just like Michael. And as somebody, again, who grew up worshiping the NBA, Michael Jordan, the iconic figure, the greatest player of all time, a lot of the traits that you said about Kobe when he played being kind of a jerk and a lot of people not liking him, that was Michael Jordan. He wasn't trying to make friends on the basketball court. He had that old school mentality. He's going to slice your throat to beat you. He was competitive literally in every single aspect of his life. I'm talking about Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant came into the league 
the same way. He said in high school that he wanted to be, he was going to be better than Michael Jordan, and he wasn't, but he damn sure came close. I knew the guy is one of the greatest basketball players of all time, certainly one of the very most competitive, not just basketball players, athletes in all time of sports. But you don't realize something until it's gone, unfortunately, sometimes, especially when it happens in this matter. In the outpouring, this happened on Sunday. We're taping this Monday night, and I told you before we started taping, honestly, other than doing things that I need to do and getting a couple hours of sleep, I have had ESPN locked on the entire time, and I'm just watching tribute after tribute after tribute. People say, Tracy McGrady, balling, Doc Rivers, balling. You start to realize how much he meant to you because he was, I mean, <laughs> he's known for having a first name. You know what I mean? When you, you're known for your first name, Gaga, Madonna, Michael, Tiger, you know that you're iconic. I heard Ice Cube earlier today say that he's never had many heroes that are younger than him, but Kobe was one of them. You know, that kind of hit home for me. But I think more than anything else, bro, the fact, I, I, it's, my attention turns to his family almost immediately, his wife, Vanessa, and the three surviving children. I just can't fathom that. And we were already talked. I was going to have you on this podcast regardless this week. But I thought of you too relatively soon because I knew I was going to have you on. I'm like, Nick just had a child. You know, you have a, a baby now who's just a couple months old. Does that change your perspective at all in life? And when something like this happens, again, you don't have to talk about Kobe. It could be any of the other victims as well in this horrific uh, crash. But it's like being the father of a young baby now, you start... I know I did because I had two children. I mean, they're not babies. One's a teenager, one's 21 years old now. But I start thinking of life with if that happened to me or to my wife. You know, I I, I just, I can't. I can't fathom it. It kind of changes your perspective having a child, doesn't it? Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, it changes everything. It's, it's interesting you say that because I had the opportunity this Saturday to go back to my alma mater where I went to college and I got to see a lot of old professors and some people I went to school with that I hadn't seen in quite some time, you know, a year or more. And I hadn't seen them since I had the baby. And a lot of people know that I had the kid because of social media and whatever. And so they were asking me like, Hey, how's fatherhood? What's it like? All this stuff. And I, I like on numerous occasions, not just then, but, you know, prior to when people have asked that to me, whenever I've caught up with them and making small talk, I always say that there is no soundbite for what it's like. <laughs> like there is no, in, there's no, an, there's no quick answer to that question. It is good. I always say it is good, but it is, it is, I mean, life changing. And I'm not trying to be hyperbolic, you know, with, with how it, changes how you see things and how you think about things and how the stories you hear of what happens to others, how it affects you if you imagine that happening to you now. And you're right, not just talking about Kobe, talking about the Altabellis and the other family. There's another family there. There was a a mother and a daughter that passed. Right. Uh, You know, that you imagine the family that's left behind in that circumstance and um, how they have to try to process that, you know, and you imagine what if you were the one who, who was gone, you know, and you, your family had to go on without you and they're going to go through all the stages of grief and, you know, get mad at others and blame people and all of that kind of stuff. And it, it absolutely, it absolutely breaks your heart. And it makes you feel very vulnerable. Um, 
when you imagine that, you know, uh, did anybody do anything wrong? I mean, maybe, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a, an aircraft crash. So a lot of times there's, you know, mistakes that were made, but it doesn't always happen that way. You know, one of the, so, you know, I'm a member of the Bills backers of you know, the Cleveland Bills backers. I helped found yep, that. Yep. Well, there's two, there's two other guys who I found that with, who I founded that with, who did all the work at the bar with me. Uh, one guy's name um, is Dan Arndt and Dan's brother, Matt, dropped dead like two weeks ago. He was a marathoner, 35 years old, had a nine-year-old daughter, was an electrician in Buffalo, uh, was out for a jog and collapsed, had an aneurysm. Wow. Uh, survived for about a week and wound up getting discharged and went home and then had um, an, another another burst, another another uh, bleed and uh, died in his home. Just, you know, and it, it's just, you know, I'm not in great shape. I'm a, I'm a big guy. And I know that uh, I've given you a hard time about your weight on Twitter and all that with uh, the <laughs> wing eating and all that, you know, but when you get a kid who's a, a marathoner, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and he drops dead from something that has no predictability that seems to have no rhyme or reason leaves behind a nine-year-old daughter. And, you know, on top of that, he was, he's the breadwinner and, uh, they just bought a house some like a month before he passed, yeah. you know, I mean, it's just, um, it's craziness. And actually, you know, we, the good one thing, if people who are listening to this are interested, Dale Reed at the beginning of February is going to be putting out the 26 shirts. that's going to benefit his, um, his widow and his, uh, nine-year-old daughter. So, uh, keep an eye out for that. I know that you, you keep up with, uh, Dale and 26 shirts and all that. So, um, that'll be, that'll be available, uh, in the next week or two for people to, to support if, if they're, interested but you hear stories like that whether it's matt or it's kobe or it's uh you know anybody else that we hear about in our daily lives that doesn't get plastered all over espn and you know it's difficult it's difficult to navigate that it's it's something that everybody in your life you you wind up spending time trying to understand what role death plays and how you're supposed to experience it you know, whether it's your family or from afar and you, you wrestle with what it means for you and, and uh, what, what, what it would be like if it happened, you know, to your spouse or your child or your parent or yourself. And there's no easy answers. Well, you know, we, we, we sort of just, we, we sort of just, you just sort of hang out, you know what I mean? And that's, what's so devastating about it. Cause it's, it's not something that you can, you can just address and then you're okay. Um, you just, you just sort of always live with the tension that it's it's possible and it's um, it's scary, you know. Um, so I, that's a bit rambling. I apologize about no, that. No, no, that's that's what I'm on the podcast for. That's what this podcast literally is: is a bunch of rambles. Look, yeah. I think it's more shock than anything. I've I could count maybe Michael Jackson passing away was maybe an equal shock to me, and uh, when I think of like. Things that have just, for some reason, and you talk about this a little bit, some things just resonate with some more than others. And sometimes the reasons are unexplained. I don't know. I just, when it comes to this, I've had a really difficult time processing everything. And I can't explain exactly why. Now, I'm a very emotional dude. My wife and I have this runny joke. Ric Flair, of course, one of the great wrestlers of all time, is known for crying in the ring all the time. Like anything makes him cry. He'll just start crying at the drop of a dime. Sometimes that could be, <laughs> and yeah. I've kind of every single time I watch something over the last 24 hours, for some reason, I just start crying. And I don't know, maybe again, because it's, uh, the family and I, and, and I start thinking about the family and the wife and the kids, and I just can't fathom that happening to me. And 
moving forward. I just, it's just so hard. I think that sometimes when somebody that you, somebody who did things that literally gave you happiness or, or awe or excitement, those people, they, they occupy a certain kind of, um, they, they have a certain kind of staying power in your mind more so than the everyday person. And if that's right or wrong, I, I, that's something that I would just admit is true of at least me. Maybe it's not true of others, but that's no, true I agree hundred percent. And so when you get one of those people who have been really, they have done something that has moved you like emotionally or with excitement or sadness or joy or whatever it may be. There's two people who are performers, who are, who are actors that did that when they passed away was really, uh, really affecting to me. And that was when Heath Ledger passed away shortly after he uh, had done the uh, Batman movie where he played the Joker, which mm-hmm. I thought was an incredible performance. Yep. And, and another actor, Philip Seymour Hoffman, who was um, not your not your typical leading man, but a really, really talented, gifted actor who had a lot of supporting roles. And uh, just I, I I spent some time, you know, doing theater and being in that being in that world, at least as a, as a, on a casual level. And I really respected his talents. Um, and I thought he was great. And he left behind a young son as well. And, you know, um, really, really tragic stuff. And it, and it hits you whenever you think, wow, that guy or that person can, is never going to be able to, you know, they were a person who I know for a fact had the ability to move me. Yeah. You know, however it may be. And that is gone. And there is a level of permanence that hits you with that whenever you have experienced something that that person was able to do and it affected you right now. Right. now when we re- when we read about the the passings of people who didn't have that effect on us, I think it's, you know, a, a little easier to kind of categorize it as, as the circle of life or whatever. Yeah. But but Kobe did that to such an absolutely monumental scale. I mean, he yeah, transcended. Yeah, yeah, his, his it was beyond, like you say, any individual sport. I mean, I saw Neymar, the the the, the soccer player in Europe, giving a tribute to him. Uh, you know, Amari Stoudemire, who is a, a former NBA player, but he was in Israel at the time. I mean, these are people who are literally around the world being made aware of what Kobe being being made aware that Kobe passed and people literally across the globe mourning him. Um, you know, that, that, that's like you said earlier, that's, that's a real, that's, that's an incredible legacy. And, um, he, he, he made people, um, you know, I think in a lot of ways people were motivated by him because they saw what kind of greatness he was able to achieve. And sometimes it, it kind of seemed like he was going to do that by pure will, you know, by, by saying this is what he wanted and he was going to go get it. And in a lot of ways he, he did. Um, and that's whenever you're a person who's in the sports world and you're, you're a competitor. I mean, that, that I think resonates and makes sense to people that that's possible. And it, it, it is something that can, can charge you up. And I think that it hit a lot of people who knew him, not, necessarily personally, but who got something out of him by respecting his work ethic that, that it also, um, you know, that it it caused them to, to feel some of the things that we're talking about probably in a, in a more intense way, even. Yeah, sure. And I'll tell you what, there's probably not an athlete in any sport that has ever been more loved by a city than LA loved Kobe Bryant along with, I would say magic Johnson would be the two there. And also 
you know, there's just some athletes out there that they seem destined to end their career the way he did. Like Derek Jeter in his very last home game of his career gets the game-winning base hit in the bottom of the ninth inning to win a game for the Yankees. Kobe in his last NBA game of his career dropped 60 against Utah. And I watched that game with my wife, who's not like the biggest basketball fan, but I just remember her being as glued to the TV as I was. It just brought so much joy to me. I don't know. It's just very heartbreaking. But before we move on, because we are going to move on, there is one other thing about this whole story that really bothers. I mean, obviously the whole story bothers me, but the way that it was reported. Now, you're a podcaster. You do some blogging. You're connected, at least when it comes to Buffalo anyway. You got your ears and your eyes on the media. You know how things work. And you know, for the most part, that most of the media does very good work. It's very unfortunate that when major stories like this happen, people are in such a rush to get the story out there that it causes, in some cases, irreparable damage. Now, there's two things specifically that I'm talking about. Number one, TMZ reporting it, which it turns out that they were completely accurate. But I've learned, I found out, I read that his family didn't, they found out through TMZ that Vanessa Williams found out or Vanessa um, Bryan found out through TMZ that her husband was in a helicopter crash. That's how she found out. That that makes me sick. Give the family you know, an opportunity to know. Don't have to rush out a report. And beyond that, several reports out there said at one point that none of his daughters were on the plane. That turns out it wasn't true. There are reports out there that all of his daughters were on the plane. It was just a handful of reporters out there rushing to be first instead of being right. And that causes a lot of damage and it's very irresponsible and very hurtful. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And yeah, I mean the, um, look, I, I know this personally, buddy, because I'm going to tell you going back, I'm going back almost a decade ago. I, I've, I know what it's like to do that because that happened specifically to me before I had a story where I was so eager to get it out first because it was a big story regarding Sean Merriman many years ago that I didn't double check a source. I didn't get all the facts right. I didn't take my time and present it. So I, I rushed something that was very poorly written, mostly accurate, but poorly written, missing facts that was easy to refute because I wanted to get it out first because I heard that other people were learning about it. So I, I get it. I, I know it. But it's just irresponsible. I mean, I learned a very valuable lesson that day. And this is worse because now you're talking people's lives. You know, yeah. it, it's just it, it, it hurts to read it. And I, I can't imagine a family. God forbid. Now, you know, we've talked about our families and can not being able to fathom if this happened to us, your wife, mine, the, the, how it would feel. Imagine if they found out through a TMZ. I just yeah. it, it kills me. It eats me up. If you, I mean, there, there was um, a, a lot of people who are listening to this might have might have experienced this, where you see the news about Kobe, and the first thing you see is not from a reputable source. It is from a friend. It is from a cousin or right. whoever, right? And there's this initial moment of panic and like, is that true? Like, and for us we have, it's just news, you know, I mean, it's more than that, right? We've talked about the emotional impact that it has, but for us, it doesn't directly affect us in the same way, obviously, as it does friends or family. Can you imagine the panic and the fear and the anxiety that you get in a moment's notice by receiving that kind of news from TMZ or from somebody who's directing you to TMZ or, you know, I mean, like that, is um 
I mean, devastating. There's no other way for you to say it. I mean, the the uncertainty, because who knows what their ability, what the family's ability was to verify that for how long, for minutes or longer. I mean, you know, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, half hour. How, who knows how long it took the family to get in touch with emergency responders that could confirm that that was true, you know? And, um, the fact that they're, but it's, it's just spreading and spreading and spreading and they don't even know if it's true yet is, is a, is a, uh, that potentially happened. And that's horrible for his daughters too. I mean, I, not just the mother, I, who knows if the daughters and the mother were in the same place. His one daughter, I believe is a teenager, 17 or yeah, something like 17, that. She may have yeah. been out with friends. She may have been out with friends or not at, not at the house. And so she gets, exposed to that information without her family, without anybody, you know, being able to deliver that news in a way that everybody would probably agree would be the best way to do it or would be appropriate is really, really unfortunate. Now, the people who are trying to be the next one in line to break the story about who else was in the helicopter, it's just um, at that point, you're not even first. You know what I mean? Like the story is out. The best thing to do at this point is ju is just wait. Just get everything right. Yeah, just get everything right. There were reports that Rick Fox, former basketball player, was in the hell. I saw several tweets out there that said Rick Fox was one of the yeah. one of the victims in the helicopter. Of course, he wasn't. Yeah, I mean, it's just at that point to me, it doesn't make sense. But I'm not in that profession to this to the same extent that these other people are. But it just seems. Um, it seems horribly insensitive to to continue to put stuff out there um, in that circumstance when you you just don't know and you will like you will in a matter of minutes. Like I think everything was relatively clear after an hour, hour and ten minutes. Uh, so for people to just not not wait, um, and you saw a lot of other people too. At least I did on Twitter because it's where I was I was hanging out trying to get everything as it came out. Um, you saw other members of the media scolding you know, without naming names, just scolding the process that that was happening, you know, that, that facts were coming out and then they have to be refuted. And, um, yeah, it, the whole thing is, I don't know, it's horrendous, but at the same time, I mean, to be candid with you, I, I can't imagine it wouldn't happen that way, but it's, it's awful that it did. Let me play one quick clip for you. This was from ESPN's Jay Williams on Sunday. Not long after it happened, you probably have heard it. Many people have. But some people out there did, and I think he really did a good job of putting this in perspective. And I want to just get a quick reaction from you on this clip, and then we'll move on after that. Here's that clip. Today's just a really, today's a tough day. Today's a hard day. And I hope that um, everybody at home, you, you give that person next to you um, whatever thing you have wrong in your life with them. If this might be small or big, let that shit go. It doesn't matter. I know I curse. I'm sorry. It's okay. None of that stuff matters, man. This is uh, it's about life and uh, being precious with every damn second we have here. Because it, from somebody who knows who almost happened to me like that, man, it's just over. It's done randomly, randomly, arbitrarily. What's your reaction to that? See, that's what got me. That really got the ball rolling of emotion for me because that's what I said. This is not just about basketball, not about a global icon. It's about family and about just so much more. And that's why I think, you know, somebody with the reach that Kobe had, why this resonates so deep with so many people out there today. Yeah. 
I completely agree. I think the the randomly and the arbitrarily of it, that's the thing that you need to remember. You know, it's not just it's not just older folks. It's not just sick folks. It's not just frail folks. It's some of the most I mean, one of the most powerful person who had the most resources, person who had fame and the ability to do anything he wanted, who, you know, uh, I mean, a person who had everything that you could possibly want, right? Uh, Kobe and his family are incredibly, were incredibly blessed with the resources that they had at their disposal and, and to perfectly healthy aside from, you know, his, his, the sports injuries that he had, which were, were relatively minor, they weren't going to impair his life. And that, None of that protected him, you know, none of that kept him safe or his 13 year old daughter safe uh, because, you know, you just don't know when it's you just don't know when stuff's going to happen like that. And like Jay Williams said, I mean, if you have that in mind and you keep that, you keep your perspective right, hopefully you let the, the small shit go. Right. And that you just cherish the people that you love and the people that you get to be around that um, are meaningful and make a positive impact and and, um, who love you back. And it's a it's a bitter, bitter way to be reminded of how important that is. Let's take a quick break. Want to let you know today's show is supported by Pulse Cellular. Today's lifestyle demand is the best in wireless. And with Pulse Cellular, you have the best options available Switch to Pulse Cellular for unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data. Coast to coast with no contracts, no credit checks, and no overage fees. One line for $65 or four lines for just $45 each. That includes hotspot, Wi-Fi calling, and up to 50 gigs per line. And for all you travelers out there, Pulse has you covered in Canada and Mexico. Plus, text and data in over 210 countries worldwide. All with the best phones, or you can bring your own. That's pretty awesome. Get the best user experience on mobile at PulseCellular.com. All right, I'm back with Nick back from the Nick and Nolan show. And we're going to move on and talk some Buffalo Bills right now. First, let me thank you, dude. All right, because isn't that what you sign up for? You are a Bills blogger and a Bills podcaster. And we're here to talk football. But that was, frankly speaking, that was a little bit therapeutic for me. So thanks for doing that. I I feel like I kind of need that. I feel a little bit better now, too. Good, good. Well, I, I mean, I don't know that I had any wisdom that anybody else didn't already know or think about, but I'm, I appreciate you having me on and it's um, helpful for me too. So I, I hope that listeners uh, found, you know, try to dig through that stuff uh, meaningful too. Yeah. And sometimes it's just therapeutic to be able to talk about things, talk out loud instead of just having it, you know, marinate in your head. But anyway, yeah. So let, let's turn to some Bill stuff right now. When it comes to free agency, that's down the road. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes, but first and foremost, before anything else, the Bills are going to have to make some decisions on guys that they might want to resign and who they're going to let test the market. And just, I'm sure some free agents out there that they're just not interested in bringing back. I want to ask you your take on this right now. If we're to take all the Bills free agents as of right now, and I ask you to power rank the top five Bills free agents in that order that you'd like to see the Bills resign them, what order would you put them in? In order, priority. And let's go from five and have you go down to one if you could do that okay number five goodness um i mean there's probably the guys who are going to be in this tier uh, of our free agents candidly i mean they i i don't necessarily have much of a much of an opinion about whether or not they're coming back or not Me um, i mean 
Frank Gore would be a guy that yeah, early in the season, people were saying, like, let Frank Gore come back if he wants. I mean, if Frank Gore wants to sign one-year deals for the next 10 years, let him come back if he's going to keep doing this. And then his play really slipped at the end of the year. And I, and I think that we do need to add a high-octane uh, complimentary back. So I, I would probably steer away from him here. The only other player that I think maybe could be of use, and we'll talk about this because there's another free agent that impacts it, would be uh, Ladrian Waddle. Because if he's healthy, then he adds a bit of stability at the right tackle position, depending on what you do with, you know, Quentin Spain. So we'll just say Ladrian Waddle there and then we'll get into it. Uh, number four. I think for me, it probably would be Jordan Phillips, because if we don't sign Jordan Phillips, I really don't panic because of the depth we have on the defensive line without him there. Uh, we've got Harrison Phillips. You've got Ed Oliver. You've got Star Latulale. And then you've, you've got potentially Corey Legit. Uh, you could probably get him at a super bargain price. And there may be other guys that we're either going to bring into camp who could who could play meaningful minutes or that we could uh, get off the street who could play meaningful minutes. Now, um, you know, Jordan Phillips doesn't feel like that's the true of him, as I'm sure you spoke about it on your pod <laughs> with, Chris, with Chris Baker. Yeah, if Jordan Whenever, Phillips listens to this episode, uh, he might be tweeting at you too, man. Yeah, I know. So. I mean, that's, I would love to have Jordan back. It's more about, it's more about, it's not about want. You know, with Jordan sure. Phillips, I would want it's him about back. Sense. Yes. It's about yes. dollars. It's about yes, uh, yes. It's about priorities. Exactly. Number three, I will say Quentin Spain, um, because if we don't. So here's the thing, like Quentin Spain had played a good year. No sacks um, was was surprisingly mobile for being the, the size that he is and kind of the road grader blocker that he is it was surprisingly mobile in this in the uh, pole game and just was a solid offensive lineman played every snap. And you know, that's, that's, those are good things to have. You know, right. you don't want to, you don't want to get rid of that if you don't have to. At the same time, I think that he could potentially be um, getting paid more than the bills want to. And if you move Quentin Spain, if you let him walk, that opens the door for what in my mind is a very easy transition to move Cody forward to guard and either move him directly to left guard where Quentin Spain was or flip John Feliciano from right guard to left guard. Uh, I'm sorry, from left guard, uh, from right guard to left guard and then move Cody forward to right guard. In which case you would then have uh, Ty and Secchi hypothetically being your starting right tackle. The issue there is that Ty Seki had a lot of nagging injuries, lower body injuries, knee injuries, ankle injuries last season. Mm -hmm. And that makes me think, do you want to have a problem at, do you want to have a problem at, at guard at left guard? Or do you want to have a problem at right tackle? Right? Cause if you let Quentin Spain walk and you don't move Cody forward, then you've got some kind of a problem at left tackle, whether you're going to promote Spencer long to be a starter there, or you're going to try to do something else. You have a question mark, right? If you move Cody Ford over there, okay, hypothetically, that question mark has been eliminated, but you have a little bit of a question mark at right tackle because I don't feel perfectly comfortable with Ty Insecki's health. So that's where the Adrian Waddle re-signing would, would sure that up a little bit. Now, he also had a severe, knee, a severe uh, leg injury, right? I mean, a torn quadricep is no joke. So does he come back with no uh, Ill, Ill effects of that? I, I hope so. And if that would be the case, I, I would feel very, very comfortable with letting uh, Quentin Spain walk and bringing back Adrian Waddle and walking into camp with that, having Adrian Waddle as our swing tackle, Spencer Long as our swing interior offensive lineman. That would be great. Um, 
Number two would be Kevin Johnson for me. I I think that Kevin Johnson is going to be a bargain CB number two. I think he's uh, high athleticism. He was a high draft pick whenever he was in Houston. He didn't work out there. He came here. He played uh, well enough for me to the point that he wound up taking snaps away from Levi Wallace later in the year. And I think that um, Kevin Johnson would be a very, if we let Kevin Johnson go, we have to address it again. And I think that you can just, address it with him and you're not necessarily going to get a guy who has higher athletic traits than he does. So that's an easy one for me at number two. And then Shaq Lawson would be number one. If you don't resign Shaq Lawson, there is a lot of work to be done at the defensive end position. And you, I, I guess you can do that work, but it's, you, there's going to be a lot of names that we current maybe aren't thinking about as being part of our defense that are going to have to be part of our defense for me to feel as good as I would if we just re-signed Shaq Lawson. I almost entirely agree with you. I have doubt, uh, jotted down in my notes. Number five, I wrote, I don't care. <laughs> That's what I wrote. I, I don't care. I, yeah. I, you could put Waddle there because what you said does make sense. And if healthy, I wouldn't mind having a fourth, potentially third tackle. I agree with you, Jordan Phillips at number four. And I also share your sentiments. It's not that I don't want Jordan Phillips back. It's that I don't want to pay him because I just think there's other positions on this team, including guys who they're going to might be looking to extend that aren't pending free agents right now that you want that money going to. So I'm, I'm good with Jordan Phillips leaving. I feel like I trust this coaching staff. I trust Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott enough that if Jordan Phillips leaves, that they'll get a perfectly capable three technique defensive tackle to play behind at Oliver going in the next season. Hell, it could even be Corey Legit himself there if you want to bring him back. Number three, and at least we're close on this because I don't hear a lot of people talking about Kevin Johnson. I have him at number three. I really want the Bills to re-sign this guy. The top three, I really want back. I want all three of these guys back. We're putting them in order, but I really definitely want all three of these guys back. I'll tell you right now, if I feel confident that if the Bills do re-sign him, I liked the way he looked, and I think he could have a bigger role going forward. I think he can wrestle the starting job permanently away from Levi Wallace if he's back. And I feel like they can get him on a pretty team-friendly deal too. If they don't sign Kevin Johnson, and you kind of alluded to this, they got to address it then. And all this talk about wide receiver at number 22. I mean, every mock draft I see or every tweet I see right now are all receivers that the Bills might take. I'm going to tell you, man, if Kevin Johnson leaves, Cornerback is very, very much in play for a Bills first round pick. I mean, it still might be in play even if they do sign him. But I feel like if Kevin Johnson walks and they don't do something significant in free agency, I feel like cornerback becomes just as big of a need for the Bills as wide receivers. So I got him at a solid three. Two is Quinn in Spain. I like the way he played. He wasn't spectacular. Two things I didn't realize about him. Number one, I didn't realize he was only 28 years old until later in the season. I thought this guy, for some reason, was like in his mid-30s. So maybe he gets priced out if the Bills don't want to pay that much. But I I don't know. I just like the thought, knowing that they're going to improve at wide receiver, they're going to look to improve at running back, add a corner, maybe extend a couple guys. I really like the concept of Josh Allen returning for year three with the entire offensive line intact as they had last year. And as much as I like Cody Ford, the thought of him playing guard, I feel like this is a player in a position where I feel like the Bills are going to be stubborn with. I know you're not too much of a Sabres guy, but like the Sabres right now, everyone wants Jack Eichel and Jeff Skinner to play together with Skinner coming back. It's not happening, at least not right off the bat. I kind of feel like the Bills really, really want Cody Ford 
to be their right tackle of the present and the future. So for that reason, I'm not sure he's going to slide inside the guard. And especially if that's going to be the case, that's what makes me want Spain back the most. And Shaq being number one, I completely agree with you 100%. I, I feel like if you lose this guy, this becomes a very big position in need. Where if you re-sign him, I'm not saying not to add anyone at defensive end, especially if they do keep Trent Murphy, because Trent Murphy, they could save $7 million, I think, if they cut him. Which, I mean, if they re-sign Shaq, maybe they do that. But it's a position where if they lose Shaq, they got a lot of work to do. So I agree with you 100% there. Yeah. The only thing I'll say about Quentin Spain that, that maybe is why I, I put him a little lower on my um, ranking than you is that we went from a really, really bad offensive line, like horrible offensive line in Josh Allen's first year to a suitable offensive line, like a, 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 a sure. good enough offensive line. Right. Sure. But there were there were games where you really wanted more from them. You wanted better play. And to me. If they are going to be stubborn about Cody Ford, we may be just dealing with that as our reality for a while, um, because I don't know that he is going to become um, what they hope he does. And I take that as at the word of people who are smarter than me. You know, and not, that's not necessarily my analysis, but that's what people who I really respect in, in my co-host and Joe Biscaglia and others who, who scout that position, Joe Marino, who, who talk about that potentially being uh, a, a, an uphill climb for him at the same token. I think that it, it, it does take the offensive line to a new level. If you move him to guard and you allow him to be truly dominant and, and get the push going in that position. And then you have to address right tackle in some way. Is that Ty Inseki? Is that another player? I, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, but I think that if you're going, you know, then Deion Dawkins, Co uh, Cody Ford or John Feliciano, Mitch Morse, Cody Ford or John Feliciano, whichever one you put in which side, and then a right tackle, you are there getting to a point where if you if you solidify that right tackle spot, I think it is a step forward, like a, a, a significant step forward in quality uh, from what we were dealing with last year. Um, and part of that is more Cody Ford than Quentin Spain. You know, that yeah. that's that's so that's a that's a that's a part of this. But it's kind of why I'm I'm sort of like, yeah, let Spain go because it forces our hand uh, to make that move and what and give us the opportunity to become really good. Now, maybe the Bills disagree with me and they may well be right. But that's where my head is at and why Spain is less important to bring back than Kevin Johnson. Well, I'll tell you what, on a personal level, I'm 100 percent team move Cody Ford to right guard. And if that was the case, then yes, yeah, sure, I could definitely see Spain leaving. And you don't really have to spend, first of all, you're saving a lot of money because Spain might cost a lot if you want to bring them back. And again, I keep saying this over and over, but I have to. Guys like Deion Dawkins and Matt Milano and Trey White, they're gonna they're up for extensions at this point. And the Bills want to lock up that nucleus. Now's the time to start doing it. And a guy like Quinn in Spain, they might see him as expendable, especially if they do decide and I'm wrong. Because I just think the Bills are gonna be stubborn, but I could easily be wrong. I've been wrong a million times. If they could slide Spain. <laughs> or let Spain go and they slide forward in the guard and Sek is already under contract. And I'm pretty confident if they want to have Lager and Waddle back, they'll give him decent money and he'll be back again with that opportunity to be that swing tackle. It's going to be fun to see that play out. Let me ask you one other thing too, about the bills. You got a couple of free agents that are a little, at least a little bit, I don't want to say no names, but guys that might be a little bit under the radar that you think that you would be interested in, or that you hope the bills are going to be interested in. Look, everybody wants the Bills to go out 
and get a guy like Amari Cooper or Hunter Henry or a pass rusher like Shaq Barrett. But I, I just, Jadavian Clowney, I just don't see any of that happen. I don't think they're looking them. That's not their MO right now. That's not their ammo. They're, I don't see them doing that. I don't think that's the kind of moves they're going to make. But they're going to be, dude, they're going to do something in free agency or a couple guys that you could see the Bills targeting or a couple guys that you would like to see them target, I should say. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you two. One is at the defensive end spot because, you know, if Shaq walks, we got to do significant work there. If Shaq doesn't walk, we still need to stock the cupboard because unless we bring Trent Murphy back and I'm not particularly a fan of that. I, I would be a fan of trying to get an upgrade out of the snaps that you give the person in the rotation that, that you know, give to uh, that right. player. Yep. And, and to me, a guy that I would kick around would be Bud Dupree. Bud Dupree is a defensive end who was playing in Pittsburgh, who had a very productive season, mm -hmm. but he had a productive season after having a not so productive season previously. And so he's coming on. He had a good contract year. I think he's going to get kind of the deal that the Bills gave Trent Murphy the first time around. And if you're going to move on from Trent and kind of play roll the dice on that sort of a player again, uh, I think Bud Dupree is an exciting prospect. And I think that if he does continue to be as productive as, as he was in Pittsburgh uh, at times, that's a, that's a pretty interesting line because you also get a little worried about whether or not Jerry Hughes is going to take a step back. Now, I, I don't necessarily know that uh, pass rushers can be very, very productive into their mid thirties. And we found out that Jerry Hughes was playing with torn, you know, tendons in his hand almost the entire season. Yeah. So, so maybe Jerry's going to have a little bit of a resurgence, a comeback year next year. But if you're talking about Jerry Hughes, healthy and Shaq Lawson and Bud Dupree, you know, I feel really good about that. I feel better about that than Shaq Lawson, Trent Murphy, uh, Jerry Hughes and Bam Johnson at number four. You know, you can, you can, the top three last year versus the top three this next year, if Bud Dupree comes on board, I, I'm a fan of that. Um, big time. So that would be one. And then the other one, you know, I would have said in, a, in an alternative universe, if, if Kenyon Drake never got traded from Miami, I would have said Kenyon Drake, but he made himself so much money in Arizona by just exploding there with an offense that was giving him the opportunity to do so that I don't think that the bills it's realistic to go after him, but he's the kind of back I would be interested in. I'm going to plug Buffalo rumblings here. There was an article on the website uh, and then also a podcast episode that one of my, uh, one of my peers on the station, Anthony Marino, he has a, he has a podcast called breaking Buffalo rumblings that came out last Thursday and it was about running backs. The bills could consider and they talked about Matt Breda, who is a guy that is in the San Francisco backfield. Mm -hmm. So you, you may get to watch him on Super Bowl Sunday. And he's a guy who just is kind of the odd man out. There's not enough carries to go around for all of the guys that are, have been productive for that team. And he's a restricted free agent. So you don't know if they're going to tender him, but if they do tender him, they're probably going to have to tender him at a little bit of a higher rate. And um, then a team is going to have to match it and, and maybe, you know, they'll keep him. But the, the 49ers have a lot of money already tied up in the backfield. And 
it makes sense to maybe let that guy go, even though he has been productive. And I think that he would be a, a very interesting get. And I'll I'll let people who are interested, if they want to go dig up that podcast from last Thursday uh, from BBR or go to Buffalo Rumblings and read the article, uh, there's a pretty good uh, case made by Sean Murphy, who was also on that podcast with Anthony Marino, about why Matt Breda might be a good fit. So those are the two guys who I would probably be, I'm interested to see that low-key low Brandon Bean is sort of doing the deep tracks dig through free agency and he's going to find a gem for us well i got three and i'm not sure if anthony marino when he did the running backs piece has this guy listed but i like jordan howard a lot yes. from Philly's 25 years old hit about 520 some yards last year uh six touchdowns kind of in the same boat with the eagles that he would be with the bills miles sanders is the president in the future of that philadelphia eagles backfield and of course Devin singletary you could say the same in buffalo but I think Jordan Howard would be a significant upgrade over Frank Gore. And you could probably get him. And I, oh, by the way, all three of the guys that I'm mentioning right now, I kind of feel like they fit the mold of Brandon being free agents, which is these anywhere from two to four year deals, but team friendly contracts where the bills can get out of it relatively quickly after just one or two years at the most. Like for an example, that might happen. We might see that soon with Tyler Croft. The bills easily could have got out of, Last year's contract, they can cut him right now and save $5 million. But anyway, Jordan Howard's a guy that I like a lot. Not the most explosive player in the NFL, but I think he's he's a lot better than Frank Gore is at this age. Frank Gore being 36 years old. I'm not talking about 30-year-old Frank Gore. I'm talking about 36-year-old Frank Gore. <laughs> so I, I like Jordan Howard a lot. Sticking with the same position that you talked about, Carl Nassib is the guy that I like a lot too. He had 12 and a half sacks the last two years with Tampa. Now, because I'm stuck down here and... Damone Harris, good friend of mine who plays for the Chiefs now, he was on Tampa Bay's roster for a year and a half. So I've watched a lot of Tampa Bay football and very unimpressed as a whole, of course, because they stink. But anyway, this was a guy that I liked. I think he would be better if they want to get rid of Trent Murphy. I think Nassib would be a guy that would be, at least be a slight upgrade or even better. Again, you know, maybe they sign Lawson and have this guy and decide that they want to run deep at that position. He's a guy I like that I... I don't think he'd break the bank. He'll certainly cost less money than your boy, Bud Dupree. A guy who, by the way, I like him a lot. In fact, I remember before we played Pittsburgh, I had Doran Dickerson on. He's played for the Bills, and he does radio now in Pittsburgh, and he spoke very highly of Bud Dupree. Liked him a lot. Anyway, here's the last guy I got, and he's a wide receiver. I know that A.J. Green is the big name, the big free agent out there, at least the realistic one. Again, Amari Cooper, I'm not going to waste my breath. The Bills are not going to go out and spend the money and sign that guy. But A.J. Green is like the big realistic name. I'm going to throw out Robbie Anderson from the Jets because this is a guy that I like. He let me down big time in fantasy football this year. He had 52 catches, 778 yards, five touchdowns last year. I saw Sato on Pro Football Focus. He's like 11th in NFL deep yards receiving over the last three seasons. I think he's a good downfield threat. I think he could be the kind of receiver that they wish Duke Williams was. And he could be like that kind of John Brown player in a way that he signs him, we sign him, and it's like, all right, you know, that's a, that's a deal. And then again, in the season, he could be really productive. So if they go a veteran route at receiver, and they could still address it very well in the draft as well. But I like Robbie Anderson with Cole Beasley and John Brown a lot. I think that's a combination that could uh, be a nice upgrade for the offense. Again, kind of under the radar. We're not naming the biggest guys. You know what I mean? 
Oh yeah, no, I I very much agree about Robbie Anderson, and uh, the the Jordan Howard conversation did happen. So if you want to uh, get some more information about both of our guys, uh, you can check that out, and and you'll get um, a fair bit of minutes spent uh, airing those two guys. Carl Nassib, he played for the Browns before he went to Tampa. Do I yep. have that, do I have the right guy right? Yep. Yeah, he was he was so you know you and I living out of Buffalo, we're kind of like scouting our market teams, you know, for yeah. guys that they're yeah. going to maybe. Yeah. Let go. So uh, yeah, Carl Nassib up here was a was a guy a lot of Browns fans thought highly of too, and then got shipped out and went to Tampa. So um, yeah, I think that that would be an interesting one. I'm a little bit less optimistic about him as a top two rotational guy, but if he was a third, like if we kept oh, Shaq yeah. And, yeah, yeah, and yeah, brought in and brought in Carl Nassib, um, yeah, I'm interested in that. Yeah, if the Bills let Shaq Lawson walk, or if he decides to sign somewhere else, I, you could take him off the board. That's not the guy I want to take Shaq Lawson's spot. But I think he'd be a good rotational guy. Last thing I'll say about Robbie Anderson, too, why I think he'd be a good fit for Buffalo is because flat out, I think the Bills have better weapons than the New York Jets do. Again, Brown, Beasley, Robbie Anderson, Dawson Knox, Singletary. I think that's a lot of formidable weapons for Josh Allen. But anyway, before we get out of here, I want to spend a couple of minutes talking about the Nick and Nolan show. I told Bruce this, and I'm going to tell you the same thing. And I, I mean this, and I really legitimately mean this. I'm not saying this because you're on the podcast. I talk about you guys quite often when I have guests on and the subject turns to Buffalo Bills podcasting. I really think that your show is as good as any Bills podcast out there. And I'm including the Bills beat. I'm a big fan of the Bills beat. I love Joe B. I love Matt Fairburn. They do great work. You guys, the work that you guys do is right on par with them. And so I'm going to tell you that right off the bat. I'm a, I'm a big fan. I, I, I'm constantly plugging you guys because I just think it's good content. It really is, man. You guys do great work. We've got a couple shows coming up. First of all, very much. I appreciate that, Pat. It's incredibly kind of you. And um, to be, I mean, we love Matt and Joe's podcast. (laughs) Bruce and I love what they, I mean, they are the OGs as far as we're concerned for uh, this, this sort of thing that Bruce and I do. And we started doing it um, in some weird way to, 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 I don't know, kind of, kind of be like them almost. It's, it's, it's strange, but I appreciate you very much saying that. And we have a couple of episodes upcoming that I think are going to be really interesting for the off season that are, you have made this comment before and, and I never thought of it until you said it, but that we are sometimes like a podcast that's more about, the, about football than about the bills. Um, yeah. Like we, t- we talk about things that would be of interest to football fans, even if you're not a bills fan. Right. And we, we've got a handful of ideas ideas for this off season uh, that we're going to dig into some stuff like that. And I'm hoping that people will, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to plug them because we, I don't know exactly when they're dropping and what order we're going to do things in, but I, I really hope that we live up to that billing um, this off season as well. And it's something that, um, that I'm excited about. And I think we're going to, I think that people will uh, get a kick out of some of the things that we do. Now, when you do a podcast with Bruce, whenever you do a podcast with anyone, when there's two people and you guys are doing it together every week, chemistry is everything. You know, you got to have defined roles. You can't be talking over each other. You can't have the same hats. You have to wear different hats. And I feel like you guys are the same in a way, but you're also completely different. Your roles are certainly different. I feel like in a way, your role's more similar to mine. Now, I have a solo podcast, but having said that, 99% of my episodes is with a guest. So I'm having a conversation with someone just like you and Bruce do every Wednesday when the podcast drops. You're more of, 
I don't want to say a narrator, but you're the one who, who sets the stage. You know what I mean? You're asking the majority of the questions. I know that you're doing the post-production stuff, things like that. But speak on just the chemistry between you two, because like I said, if you wanted to be the Bills hot take guy and you were trying to drop all the analysis on the show every week and you guys were kind of just doing one and the same, I don't think the show works. Why I say the reason why you guys are one of my favorite podcasts out there is because of the chemistry between the two of you. You guys can carry on a good conversation, but you know what your role is on that podcast, and Bruce knows what his role is on that podcast, and it works very well. It's it, Yes, uh, it, has, it turned into, I mean, we did not anticipate that when we started. Uh, we started podcasting, we were at least just on SoundCloud. We weren't even on like iTunes and all that stuff. It was just the Cleveland Bills backers podcast. It was just as much about the bar as it was about uh, the game and the Bills and football. So, I mean, it's it's come, it's certainly changed. Bruce is a talent. I mean, who he will probably bristle uh, at, at me talking like this about him, but he he just knows his stuff. Yes. Like, like he just knows football. He knows front office stuff. He knows uh, X's and O's. He knows personnel decisions. He knows team building. He knows coaching. He knows technique. He just knows his stuff. And he has the appetite to really dig into things. I, I would be lying if I said that was me. Like, I, I'm not that person. I am a, a naturally, I, I think, a naturally curious person. Right. Um, I, I'm a little bit, I'm inquisitive. I'm the kind of guy who, when I was a kid, if you said, don't touch that because it's going to shock you, when you walked away, I was probably going to touch it because I wanted to know, <laughs> you right. know, like I, I, I needed to learn. So, or you'd want to find out why. Yeah. You would ask yeah. other people. You're not just going to yeah. let it be. You're going to find out why that's, that's what yeah, being inquisitive yeah. I, is. Sure. Yeah. Letting it be definitely would not be uh, how I could describe myself. So Bruce and I just sort of have a, we have a, we have a lucky natural dynamic, which is that he is some level of an expert and I know enough to be dangerous and I know enough to talk about something, but I don't know all the stuff that he does. And I'm not, I'm curious enough to want to know. So we have this arrangement now that we have fallen into where um, we will both have ideas, but oftentimes I will have ideas about what I think would be really interesting to talk about that I just haven't heard anybody else talk about, um, that I haven't heard other people, you know, and I'm an auditory learner, so I listen to an awful lot of podcasts and I, I, um, I can't try to keep an idea, like a, an ear open as to what others uh, that our peers are talking about. Sure. And, and so, um, if there's something that comes up, it's like, I just don't think people have really dug into that or they haven't talked about it in this way. Then I say to Bruce, Hey, do you want to talk about this? Would you be able to it? And most of the time he says, yeah, I'm into that. And so he will spend a little bit of time brushing up on it. If he's not, if he's not ready and he won't tell me what he learns and he won't tell me what, you know, initially his answers to my questions are, or that topic. And then we will sit down and we will have a natural conversation where he knows what I want to learn. He knows some of the questions I have outstanding and he's ready to answer them. And then when he answers them, that leads me to three or four more questions that I want. And I just, I just ask him. And then that gives him the opportunity to do that. And it gives me the opportunity to poke at him. If there's things that he describes that don't quite make sense to me or that, that you know, that, that doesn't jive, I'll try to poke some holes in it. And then he typically is able to, you know, clarify or provide more information. And we do that until we get to a certain level on whatever 
whatever topic we're talking about that is either good enough information or this is where we're at now or it's it's comprehensive enough that I'm ready to walk away. And that's what we do. Um, so I, I do some of that stuff as far as like uh, some of the creative stuff on the front end. Uh, Bruce does that as well. So I don't certainly want to take all of that credit. He, he will come up with ideas for things that we want to talk about, especially if he sees some kind of perspective being shared on Twitter regularly where people are saying something that he disagrees with and it's getting shared or said a lot by a different people Mm -hmm. he will want to go on record as saying this is why i think differently so i certainly can't take all the credit for that um but then you know we'll do the he'll do a lot of work pre uh, production he'll he'll get ready for the topic we record and then that's whenever some of the harder work for me comes in is that i have to edit and i put in the pop culture stuff and i put in the goofy drops and the music and you know all the stuff i i do that stuff because i'm i'm you know i'm easily entertained i guess i'm easily distracted those are things that i think are funny so that's why i do that and what i add and it's it's given a little bit to our brand and how we do things and um i think that i think it works for us and that's that's kind of the dynamic that we have but i'm you know bruce and i we we use the term the a and the b the a is the person who is navigating the conversation who is transitioning the b is the person who's adding value to all of those topics yeah. you know kind of like the color uh, or the game the play-by-play and the color analyst so bruce is the b for us and i am the a it's my job to get us from topic to topic to topic, to keep us on pace, to know where we need to take breaks, um, to, you know, ask questions that are going to get us to where we want to go. And then, um, and then I handle the post-production, but, but, you know, this doesn't work without, you know, as much as I, I'm, I, I try to bring value and all this, this, the whole podcast doesn't work if I don't have Bruce, which is, um, you know, he really is a talent and, and we sort of just happen to be in the same place and happen to both be Bills fans and happen to, you know, work in a similar industry. So we met each other. It's truly lightning in a bottle uh, to some degree. Um, but we're going to, we're going to ride the wave as long as we can. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I, I do think Bruce is an elite talent on the microphone. I think he's one of the best out there, but you said it, it doesn't work without the A and you do a really good job of being the A. And I know you kind of just glance a little bit over to post-production. I, 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 I got to stop you though, right? Because as somebody who does all of his own post-production as well, I know a lot of people listening out there, sometimes they don't understand that there's a lot of work that goes into it. Now, I know there are some podcasts out there that just hit a record button and talk for however long they talk, whether it's 15 minutes or two and a half hours, they hit they hit stop and 15 minutes later, they have an MP3 online and that's it. You know, that's a wrap. Yeah. I know you put work in. It takes work to edit. It takes work to put those sound drops in, to add the intro music, all that other stuff that comes with it, man. It's a lot of work. And I, I feel like now it's not the audience's job to really care about that. They care about the finished product. So I understand that too, but just don't just gloss over that because (laughs) that's a lot of work and you know it. it. it's an it was an intentional thing that Bruce and I talked about when we first went on to Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Stitcher and all, whenever we weren't just doing some rinky dink thing on SoundCloud. Okay, when we no longer did that, we had a conversation and I said I want it to sound good. Yeah, there's a lot of podcasts out there that just sound like shit. Right. Sure. And, and I, they the content is good, like they have good things to say, but you just don't you know, when you have the option to listen to armchair expert or Joe Rogan or anything else that is a top tier podcast and it sounds good, it's hard sometimes to choose to listen to something that doesn't. 
Yeah. That's my opinion. That's oh, you're hundred percent right, man. You that's get, how, that's how I make decisions about podcasts. You should, because the, the sound does matter. Sound quality matters. You're right. You can have good con- content, but if it sounds like you're in a closet or, or like you're in a big music hall and, and everything you're saying is echoing and vibrating, it's just, it's a turnoff. Your ears can only take so much of it. There's a lot of production that goes into a professional sounding podcast, which leads me to one of my last few questions for you. Now, you guys just have a weekly show, so it's not like you're doing this every day. But even having said that, does it sometimes, although it's, I'm sure it's always fun because, you know, this is, a, a, you do a podcast and you like to see the finished product. I've said this before on, on this podcast. In a way, it's kind of like somebody who paints a really good picture. And at the very end, when you release it to the public, that's your art. You know what I mean? And then you're excited to see that and you're on to the next one. So it's fun. But does it feel like, a grind sometimes, maybe so now more because you have a family. Now you do have a young child. So sometimes you're not on the easiest schedule that you might've been on beforehand. Does it feel like a little bit of a grind you sometimes? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it does, almost, man. Almost, almost every week. It's there's a, there is a part of it that is a grind. Mostly because we record, we drop on Wednesdays. We record on Tuesdays. We get done recording like after seven o'clock. Mm-hmm. So I go home and I edit that thing, and it's an hour. I mean, right now our pods are typically an hour and a half long. Uh, maybe then we're just I'm just a glutton for punishment, and that's why we record that long. But we record for an hour and a half. We record for an hour and a half. We have to, I mean, that's a, that's multiple hours of editing because yeah. I have to listen to the whole thing. Plus then I have to re-listen to parts over and over and over again. If I'm trying to fix something because the, the, you know, there was a background noise I didn't want, or I'm trying to drop in a certain kind of sound bite and I got to go hunt for that sound bite. And then I got to find it. Then I got to find it the right quality. I got to rip it. I got to drop it. I got to, I got to trim it so that it all flows right. You know, before the sound bite, the sound bite, after the sound bite, it all doesn't like, it sounds, you know, the way you want it to. So it's, that every Tuesday night is a grind. <laughs> uh, this week we're actually doing the pod on a different day because Bruce was in the hospital last week and there was something else he yes. had to take care of this week. So we're going to drop, I believe, on Friday this week, which you know isn't uh, for, for you know everyone's routines. Maybe you know they that's not their preference. But we'll be back on Wednesdays in the near future. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, whatever night we record, that evening is a is a grind for me because I am typically up late. I got to get the podcast in, and sometimes it literally doesn't even drop until after midnight because I I get home, I eat food, I hang out with my wife and my kid if he's still up, and then I then I sit down and record. And um, you know, if I run into any kind of technical issue, then it's it's time consuming. Uh, it can be. So yeah. Um, we, we definitely both put work in. That's true. And I appreciate you, you saying the time. I think at the end of the day, though, it's like you said, like the audience doesn't care. It's kind of just like a it's kind of just like a, a threshold. Like, are you above this threshold or are you below this right. threshold? And I want to be above the threshold. Well, to be above the threshold takes a certain level of effort and work. Uh, your podcast does it every week. So you know exactly what I'm talking about. And there are other podcasts that don't give a shit about that threshold. And so they sound the way they sound and they get the listenership that they get. I have just a different opinion about that. I, I, I wanted it to be different than that. It uh, doesn't mean they're right or wrong or that I'm right or wrong. That's just what I wanted. And I told Bruce that and he was on board with it. So we got the microphones that we got. We got the technology that we got. Um, and we, you know, decided to add the things to the podcast that we added to make it what it is. Well, I'll tell you what, it is a grind. 
And you are right. The audience doesn't really care about the process, nor should they. They care about the product. It's you that puts in the work. But having said that, it's worth it when you get good feedback. And more than anything, the Nick and Nolan show. And again, I have tons of respect for lots of Buffalo Bills related podcasts out there. But the feedback that you're getting, it's fun to watch. As somebody who's been a fan of your podcast, you know, I kind of take some pride in finding people that I think are really talented or shows that are really good that people don't know much about at that time. We're and like, it, we're like whenever you find a good wing joint. Exactly. Right, that people don't exactly, know about. Exactly. Exactly. hundred percent. Right. Like this Macy's place pizzeria in Chictawaga. I, I, I enjoy everyone learning about them and now them becoming bigger and more popular. They're going to outgrow their location. That's the only shitty part about how good and how big they're becoming so quick. But when it comes to you guys, I see that star rising. I know that's a corny saying, but it's true. You know what I mean? I see the feedback is getting more and more and more. And I see more people retweeting episodes or more importantly than retweets because retweets can be really deceiving. I've had episodes where I barely get any retweets and they've been some of my best numbers. And conversely, I've had tons of retweets and they've been some of the lowest numbers. I see more people interacting and discussing the topics that you talk about on your podcast. That's a real sign that people are not only just giving you that click to tune in to give you a hit, a download that people are actually consuming and digesting what you have to say and then talking about it afterwards. Just speak about the growing feedback from people and what that means to you because all this work that you talk about putting in the recording and spending some time away from your family that you might not want to and the, and the hours that it could take to edit and drop these sounds and all that stuff. It's all worth it when you get that kind of feedback, right? The feedback is, I mean, yes, you enjoy what you do. You enjoy the craft and creating a product that you're proud of. That feels a lot better when people interact with the product and people yeah. like see the product. Right. And if, the, and, and they tell you that you, that they like it. Um, it makes the grind way, way, way more tolerable. Was it, it tough really for you? Does. Was it tough for you? Maybe at first when you, cause you're, the work doesn't change. You're still putting in the work, but is it a little bit tougher at first when maybe you're not seeing the numbers that, cause I mean, you guys are a podcast that's on the rise now. But it wasn't always that way. I'm sure early on you were putting in the same amount of work, but maybe not getting the results that you were hoping for. Does it get a little frustrating or was it frustrating at any point during this process for you where maybe at first you weren't getting the feedback and you weren't getting the reviews and you weren't getting the listens that you are now to still stay motivated to want to put this product out each and every single week? Uh, it was probably, I mean, eventually it, it sort of added up that the grind got hard in the bit, at the beginning, the grind was something to do. You know, the grind was the hobby. Uh, now, you know, we're beyond, I mean, we're still in hobby ter territory, but it's an obligation. <laughs> like, yeah, it's something yeah. I have to do every week. You know, originally, whenever we were the Bills Backers podcast, before we joined Buffalo Rumblings, we would drop whenever it was convenient for us. We didn't always drop on Wednesdays. We would drop on Monday, then a Thursday, then a Saturday. It was a surprise. You went into your you went into your podcast app and, oh my gosh, there's a new episode. This is great. You know, so we were just doing it at our leniency, at our convenience. We were very lenient about it. Now, we have a schedule. So that is probably what adds to the grind a little bit. Uh, you know, creating some uh, predictability for your listeners. Um, I would say that the part that got the hardest 
and I think that Bruce would agree with this, is we got to a point where we were, we had just maybe joined Buffalo Rumblings and we were, people were still kind of feeling us out and trying to figure out if they liked us or not. And, you, you know, you're kind of, you're nobody till somebody hates you is a phrase that I really like. Right. But we, we started getting some people who didn't like us, right? They thought they would call Bruce a blowhard and stuff. And we've turned that into a running joke. Um, and, and, or they would say that the drops were stupid and that's particularly my bag. So that's a, that's a hate on me. Right. We still get that. We still get that feedback somewhat regularly. Um, so those kinds of things initially before we had the same, like we, before we had um, a good sense of whether or not we really were somebody's flavor or not, where we just kind of thought we were, we had something good, but we didn't really know, but we're getting more exposure. But with that exposure is coming some negative feedback. It took a little while in that time to really feel confident. Like we had staying power and that we, that this was all kind of worth it. Or were we just putting ourselves out there more to receive more negative feedback? I don't, I mean, that was probably where we are now. We're in a point where I've, think we're very comfortable with what we do and we care a lot about what our peers think as far as like other podcasters and other people who write and who are you know uh, either media members or pseudo media members and we we really care about the feedback those guys give us because they're they're doing very similar things in that they're trying to come up with interesting content they're trying to come up with things that people care about hearing and listening to and so if we are doing that kind of work that catches the attention of people who are also trying to do that kind of work that's very rewarding um so we enjoy that and we you know mostly we enjoy our fans i mean our fans are awesome they leave us a lot of reviews they do really funny gif responses to the show and they turn the things that we talk about into into images or into into gifs and uh it's it's awesome so yeah the, the fans make the grind worth it. Um, but I don't think that initially it was the hardest. It was probably whenever we started to get some, some people who, uh, who were very you know vocal that they didn't like what we were doing that initially we were just sure we weren't sure if that was going to be, uh, the overwhelming sentiment or not. And, um, yeah, right now we're in a place where we feel like there's enough people who enjoy what we do that we ought to keep doing it. Well, I'll tell you what, the next step in your progression is going to be people making uh, parody phony, Twitter yeah. handles at Burner's you a, when yeah, you when you have account, when you right? have an at Patrick Moran one or I'm sorry when you have an at Patrick Moron one <laughs> making up only <laughs> tweets it's not been very successful it's got like 32 tweets and like two followers but yeah when when you get somebody to start making up bullshit names making fun of you like that way that's when you know you're yeah, that next step's coming real soon for you. Yeah, I haven't seen that handle, but I'm going to have to give them a follow. Is their bio uh, sounds like Tiffany after a curtain of Virginia Slims and looks, <laughs> and looks like Tawny Katane after a pallet of Oreos? No, I, I think that, you know, I think because at first their name was Patrick Moron and then they switch it to Aaron Quinn from Cover One and then somebody else, oh, but it still got the Pat, Patrick Moron. They weren't getting the, the traffic out of it, I guess, that they hoped. Anyway, I got one more question for you, then I'm going to let you go, Nick. We've spent so much time, and again, very gracious, very thankful for you to help me kind of cope with Kobe. At least, like I said, having a conversation with somebody on air, it's been therapeutic for me. Talking bills, talking about your show. We've been talking for almost an hour and 20 minutes, dude, and there's something called the Super Bowl that's going on this week. <laughs> and haven't even hit on it for a half a second. But we're yeah. gonna. I'm going to ask you this much, okay? Here's all I'll ask you. Because I want it on record because you'll definitely be on the podcast again down the road. And if you get it right, I'm going to give you some props. If you're off by a lot, I might bust your balls next time you're on. But I got to get it from you, man. Who do you like in the Super Bowl? I'm even going to ask you to go ahead and give me a score. What's your prediction? Um, 
geez, I, somebody else asked me my thoughts on it, and I, I typically provide like a little like a synopsis of like this is what we're gonna, you know, one of these two things is gonna win. Can you keep the Kansas City offense down long enough to win? I don't know. Can you can you stop the San Francisco running game? Because if you don't, you're you're probably not gonna win. I don't know. Um, I, if I had to guess. I really think that this is a special, special Kansas City team. And I do think that if you find a way, and not that Kansas City's defense is, you know, uh, exactly the unit that you draw to try to do this, but if you find a way to slow San Francisco down on the running game, it's just really, really hard to keep up with Kansas City. I mean, you saw they fell behind to the Texans and then they smoked them. I mean, just just ate them for lunch. You know what I mean? They, they could have had, they could have beaten that team in 20 minutes and they had, you know, that you could have given Texans like, was it a 17 point head start, a 24 point head start, whatever it was, 24 24 point head start. And 20 minutes later, the, the, the chiefs are winning. You know what I mean? So it's like, you can start with, you can start against the chiefs, the chiefs at negative 24 in a 20 minute game and they could beat you. That's, ridiculous so um i i will say kansas city uh i also am I'm pulling for andy reed i really like patrick mahomes i i want to see kansas city win uh, i love i've always had a soft spot for kansas city because arrowhead seems to be the only other um stadium that has a similar kind of game day experience to the bills and yeah. it's probably a little hyperbole it's not fair that they're the only one but they have a, they have a similar you know experience by all accounts so i always have have enjoyed kansas city for that reason and i'm going to root for them uh and i'll say uh i'm going to say 31 to 24 well i'll say this because i have another episode coming up on friday where it'll be more about the super bowl i'm not going to give a prediction right now, but I will say I'm all in for the Chiefs, and I agree with you 100% about Kansas City and Arrowhead Stadium. In fact, I covered the Bills for a year in the early 2000s, and I remember going to Kansas City and being at that stadium, and I was like, this is very much like Buffalo, so you're 100% right. All right, good stuff, dude. Thank you so much again. At Nick Bat on Twitter, of course, check out the Nick and Nolan Show on Wednesdays, and you can find, except for this week, it's going to be on Friday. Catch them on Apple, Google, Future award-winning podcast, just like this one, a fellow one. Wednesdays, like I said, but this week you will be on Friday. Look, man, thank you so much for doing this. I took up a lot of your time. You're busy. You got a new baby. I appreciate you, buddy. Yeah, no problem at all, Pat. And I have a question about the future award-winning. So if you win an award for an episode where Bruce or I are a guest, how does that award get divvied up? Um, it's a good question. I'm, my answer is the same. If I want it without you guys, I'm not going to accept it because then I won't be a future award winning podcast. I would have been an award winning <laughs> podcast. So I don't want that. I gotcha. I gotcha. Okay. Fair enough. Thanks a lot for having me, Pat. I love it. All right, folks, that is going to do it for this episode. Very, very big. Thank you again. Nick Bat from the Nick and Nolan show. Great guy. Really good guest. Good conversation. Thank you very much, Nick. Also want to thank today's show supporters. Of course, I'm talking about 26 shirts, Sounds Assured, and Pulse Cellular. So check it out, everybody. If you have not yet subscribed to this podcast already, please go ahead and do that right now. Subscribe to the podcast. Rate and review. Only takes a couple seconds. And I can't emphasize this enough. Really helps me 
continue to grow this show a lot. You can listen or subscribe to us on Apple, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are found. Got new shows every Tuesday and every Friday. And when you subscribe to it, you're going to get a set to whatever device that you listen to your podcast to. You're going to get it before anyone else does. Also, go hit up Moranalytics Podcast on YouTube. Got original audio content that you're only going to find there. Not even going to hear it on this podcast. I also have highlight clips from current and past episodes up there. Again, Moranalytics Podcast YouTube channel. And then last but not least, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pat Moran Tweets. I'm constantly tweeting out podcast updates, upcoming guest polls, prize pack giveaways from time to time, general thoughts, banner with other people on Twitter. Twitter is pretty much where I park myself. I'm there all day, every day. So if you want to catch me, follow me on Twitter at Pat Moran Tweets. Thanks again so much for listening. I say it all the time. I really mean it. I appreciate each and every single one of you that are taking time from your busy day to give this podcast a listen, the car, the office, the gym, home, doesn't matter. I appreciate it so much. I know there's a million other podcasts out there. So if you're taking your time, you're listening to this one, that humbles me. I'm so grateful for that. So thank you very much. Enjoy yourself. Stay safe. Talk to you again soon. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.